You're listening to the Strategies at Work podcast for January 2017. Today's episode is titled Principles of Economics. If you believe that the universe was created by the God who revealed himself in Scripture and incarnated himself in Christ, then you most likely look to Scripture to inform your view of all life, including economics. Leaders must recognize that they are stewards and that organizations exist to serve the will and ways of the Creator. Economics should therefore be rooted in biblical truth about the will and ways of the Creator. The best sources for revelation about the will and ways of the Creator are Scripture in special revelation and creation in general revelation. Since God funds His will, long-term success requires alignment with God's economic principles, which are best revealed in Scripture. Furthermore, any principles gleaned from general revelation in nature must be congruent with Scripture. And now Dr. Chester brings us the message titled, Economic Principles. Well, this morning we want to continue our discussion of biblical economic principles. And uh, we're going to dig into just a, an introductory section on this, of these principles this morning, with get, talking specifically about five principles that I think are foundational for us to understand economics from a biblical worldview. The first principle is uh, you have to understand that there are two types of wealth or two types of riches. Uh, there's intangible and tangible. Secondly, you need to understand that, that God, since he is God's the creator of all, he owns all. That is, there's everything that exists, he made. And if he made it, then by definition he owns it. So a text like Haggai 2.8 points out that the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The third principle we want to talk about is God funds his will. Scripture says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. This is a text that basically says if we line up with the will and ways of God, God funds it. And you can just step back and think about this from the standpoint of an intentional sovereign God. If indeed he is intentional and sovereign, then it makes sense that anyone that lines up with him, there will be provision for you to do that which he wants done. That is a consequence, a logical implication of the sovereignty of God and the intentionality of God. So God does fund his will. He provides for those who are seeking to line up with him. Then we have a maxim. Two maxims here, wealth flows from obedience and poverty flows from disobedience. And Psalm 1 is a great text that illustrates this truth. Of course, when people hear this, many of them, many react very negatively to it because they say, wait a minute, I know a lot of wealthy people that are very rebellious and very obstinate and very negative on God. Well, there, there are exceptions to it, and we'll talk about the exception and what that really looks like. And finally, we'll talk about a reality of Genesis chapter 2, verse 11, that Scripture says there was gold in the garden, and that gold was good. means that gold lined up with God. And what does that mean? What is the significance of gold in the garden? So we'll talk further about that as well. So let me see how far we can get through through this in the next 15 minutes or so. And uh, we may have to shortcut some things, and if you want uh, more teaching on this, if I can't get to all of it, I encourage you to go listen to the audio or watch the video from my presentation of this. This is Kingdom Management, excuse me, Financial Management Part 1, and this is Introduction to Biblical Economics that's available on the website. So first, let's talk about two types of wealth. 
There are two types of wealth, intangible and tangible wealth. For example, Luke 16, verse 11 says, If you've not been faithful with mammon, which is a term for tangible wealth, who will commit to your trust the true, that is the intangible wealth? So there you have in one verse, you have both tangible and intangible wealth held up side by side. Now, intangible or true wealth has both imminent and transcendent values. Now, something that's imminent means it's present with us right now in this existence. Something that's transcendent means that it transcends its existence. So you can see this, for example, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, where it talks about bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise for the life that now is and that which is to come. So the life that is is our imminent life, and the life that is to come is our transcendent life. And so you can see that that uh, godliness here, as a, a example of intangible wealth or true wealth, has value in both now and in the future. So that's that's a great picture of reality there. Now, temporal or tangible wealth has only imminent value. First Timothy six seven says this: We carry we brought nothing into the world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out of the world. And that is, when you came into this existence, uh, you didn't bring any money with you. And when you leave, you're not going to take any money with you. The reality is, whatever money is about, it has to do with this existence. And I would suggest that money is simply a tool to enable us to line up with God. That's all it is. And that's that's challenging for most of us, because most of us, Live, live in our minds and our culture that says money is the measure of success, significance. It's the measure of life. And the reality is I think scripture is teaching just the opposite, that but money is a measure of very little. Money is simply a tool to enable you to accomplish something, and God funds his will, so as you line up with him, there's provision to do it in some way, somehow. So we have to understand the real value, the real wealth is true wealth. That is the intangible wealth, not the tangible wealth. So as you see that t- intangible wealth is more valuable than intangible, than tangible wealth, then so what do you do with tangible wealth? What would be a wise thing to do with it? Well, a wise thing to do with tangible wealth is to trade up. So let's, let's look at an illustration of what trading up is. This is Jesus writing to the, the church at Laodicea, which is an Asian church in the first century, and these people were wealthy people. They had financial resources. They had assets. It looked, from their standpoint, they were successful. And Jesus has some very interesting things to say to them. He says in verse 17 of Revelation chapter 3, You say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. And indeed, anybody that has money, we think they are prospered, and they need nothing. Or if they need something, they have the money to buy it. So they really don't need anything. And then Jesus says, not realizing, which means you're in deception. If you don't realize something, you've been deceived. Not realizing the truth. And here's the truth. You are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Now, just a quick comment on that. I'm sure no one ever explained to Jesus that you don't talk to wealthy people that way. That's not very kind. Well, Jesus isn't into being politically correct, isn't into following our definition of good manners. 
He's entering into truth. And what he's saying here is you guys don't understand tangible wealth is just a tool. That's what he's saying. He didn't use those words, but that's the implication of what he's saying here. And then he says, I'm going to give you some counsel, some wisdom. If Jesus were to say to you, I counsel you, do you think you'd listen? I hope you would. I hope I would. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire. Gold refined by fire? Wow. This is an amazing idea. Of course, gold was refined by fire. Physical gold, you would melt it down, the impurities would rise to the top, and then they would be scraped off with a ladle. And then you would have pure gold. So that's a way to get really, really fine gold, pure gold. And what happens if you have that kind of gold that Jesus sells, which is obviously referring to metaphorically to true wealth, that's what real wealth is, that you may be rich. And then he says, white garments, so that you may clothe yourselves, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. A white garment speaks of the righteousness of Christ. You know, that's something that we buy in the sense that we reveal that we've been given that, that truth when we walk in a, a way that's pleasing to the Lord. Our walk, in other words, validates the reality that Christ is in us, transforming us. Our walk doesn't transform us. It's Christ in us transforming us, and our walk now reveals that we've been transformed. And finally, he says, and a salve uh, to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Well, obviously, there's so that you can see is a reference to being metaphysically aware. That is, you can see from God's perspective. So this is a powerful text that points out to us, you've got to understand what real wealth is, what's really important, what's really valuable. You want you want real wealth that Christ gives. You want the dar- the garments of righteousness that only He gives, and you want the worldview that only He gives. So that's real wealth, and you should use tangible wealth to trade up for the real deal. So that's trading up. That should be a key principle for us in how we use our resources. Now, here's some examples of true wealth of how we trade up. These are just various examples that you will find in Scripture of which it is said these things are more valuable than tangible wealth. These are more valuable than physical assets. So wisdom, knowledge, and instruction, Proverbs 8, verses 10 through 11. How about character, reputation, Proverbs 22, verse 1. Or righteousness, this is Proverbs 11, verse 4. Uh, respect, Proverbs 11, verse 16. Divine Revelation, Psalm 119, verse 72. Godliness with contentment, 1 Timothy 6, 6-7. Faith in Christ, 1 Peter 1, 6-7. Love, patience, gentleness, 1 Timothy 6, verse 11. Security in God, 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. And metaphysical awareness, revelation, the revelation text that we just read. You see, here are ten things, ten traits that arguably are examples of true wealth and that we should be using tangible wealth to trade up to acquire true wealth. You see, in the end, when you stand before Christ, your portfolio is not going to matter. What's going to matter is, did you use that those assets that God gave you, your time, your talent, your treasure, and the technology he gave you. Did you use that 
to build the things that he values, things like this that are listed here on this slide. So this is what getting clear on what wealth really is, why it's so important. We always want to be building true wealth, not tangible wealth. Tangible wealth is just a tool to trade up to get true wealth. Now, another principle here is God owns all tangible wealth. Now, tangible wealth is not something to be disdained or ignored, but it's something to be stewarded properly. And In fact, God owns all the tangible wealth, and he disposes of it and uses it as he sees fit. So we have to understand, you know, some corollaries here. As created beings, humans are not consumers, but stewards of God's tangible wealth. You know, we're not, we're called consumers by Wall Street and other uh, financial pundits of today that are all about trying to drive you to spend. They want you to spend so that, that their impression is that the economy will be more robust, there'll be more money, more wealthy people, and everybody will have a great happy life. That is a, the lie and deception of the culture. We are not consumers, we are stewards. A steward is about executing the commands of the Lord of the one that they serve. Whomever you serve is your master, and your job is to do the will of the master. So as stewards, humans use tangible wealth to execute the will of God according to the ways of God. This is how it's supposed to be used. So God gives you resources that we might call financial assets for the purpose of obeying him and stewarding them according to his will and his ways. I was teaching one time in a session on some of these principles, and at the end, there was a home builder in the back that raised his hand, and this home builder had been claimed to be a Christian 30 years and claimed to be a very faithful member of his church, claimed to be a big giver and all that. He was really objecting to this whole idea of stewardship. His idea was, I worked hard, I made the money, I paid my tithe, and the rest of it is mine. That was his idea. He had no concept that God owns all wealth. And we're simply stewards, and I couldn't seem to find the way to get him to see that that day. But you could tell he was a very distressed, troubled man. And he was not living out a wise road of life, a wise choice of life and how he was going, because he was living for himself. His will done his ways, and God was just a tool to be used to accomplish his purpose. That man is on a bad road. Another principle that we said was God funds his will. Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God. That is the will of God and his righteousness, the ways of God, and all these things will be given to you as well. You see, God is into supporting his agenda, supporting his will. He's not into supporting our will. God's agenda is always about his purpose. He says in Proverbs, there's no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. The horse is made ready for the day of battle. But victory rests with the Lord. We have to remember, if God funds his will, what would be the difference between provision and prosperity? That's a very interesting question. Most people think provision is having what you need to do what you're called to do. And prosperity is having more than what you need to do what you're called to do. But in the kingdom of God, if you have a God who's intentional and strategic, and he owns it all, and he's funding his will, if he gives you Provision that it seems to be beyond what you need, it's in reality is provision for something you haven't discerned yet. You see, in the kingdom of God, there's no difference between the definitions of provision and prosperity. They are the same definition. 
Whatever God provides for you, you will prosper because you're aligning with him. And when you think you have more than what you need, you simply haven't discerned all your assignments. So you need to be asking, Lord, what do I do? I was speaking in a church about a decade ago, and I was teaching on these principles. And this is about an 800-member church, and so I took the opportunity to ask the congregation a question. I said, what would you do if God were to drop $100 million into your bank account today, no strings attached, what would you do? And immediately this woman yelled out in the audience, go to Neiman's. Now, Neiman Marcus happens to be a very high-end lady store here in the Dallas area, so everybody in the audience knew exactly what she was saying, and I've simply said, you illustrated my point. You know, it's all about you. What you should do if you have all of a sudden have what you think is a windfall profit is you should drop on your knees like Peter did in Luke chapter 5 when he experienced a windfall profit in front of the Lord and said, let the Lord depart from me for I am a sinner, recognizing that I am in the presence of a holy God who's given me something and I don't know what to do with it. I need wisdom from him to know what to do, and I know that wisdom isn't going to come from me. It has to come from him. So it just changes your mindset and how you, you see resources, how you see a windfall profit, and what you then do with those resources because you realize tangible wealth is not the real, real wealth. The real wealth has to do with wealth that transcends this existence that will enable me to stand before Christ and give a good account. Tangible wealth won't do that. Tangible wealth is for this existence only. Now, as we think about the reality of the maxims here, Psalm 1, verses 1 through 6, is so clear that obedience leads to blessing and disobedience leads to judgment. And you can read the text for yourself. I'm not going to take the time to do that. I'm just going to point you to the reality of this, this truth. And obedience to God is the key to enjoying the life that he wants you to live here. It's the key to life. It's the key to eternity. Blessed are you when you walk in the will and ways of God. If you try to walk in your will and ways of man, you will not be blessed. And all furthermore, one of the things that will happen is when you walk in the will and ways of God, you will enjoy contentment. You will be content. You will be strengthened. You will have learned this incredibly valuable lesson that Paul says, talks about in Philippians chapter 4, that he learned the secret. The secret that in no matter what circumstances he was in, he was content. You, we have to learn to be content, and that only comes when we know that financial resources are tools to get help us to live in such a way that we gain real wealth, which is the wealth that transcends this existence. Now, there's always the objection to this t- teaching on on maxims in that people know, everyone seems to know someone that's got wealth, but they're living in rebellion against God. Psalm 73, Psalm 37 are texts that deal with this. Here's another one out of James chapter 5. I'm going to read this to you real quickly here as we conclude. James writes, and James's audience here are Christians. So he says to these Christians, come now, you rich, you rich among the Christian community, Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. 
you have laid up treasure in the last days. You see, what you do here does store up treasure for the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You see, what they've he's stored up is he stored up this testimony that's going to be used as judgment against them. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence, and here's the killer. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. In other words, all you've done is prepared yourself for judgment. You think you've been successful. You think you've acquired all this wealth. You think you've been really smart. The reality is you've just prepared yourself for judgment. So money without the character to properly steward the money is simply judgment. It's a setup for judgment. So I got through four of the five points here. And I'm sorry I'm running out of time here. The gold in the garden point very simply is this. I think the reason that the gold in the garden is mentioned is because that's a clue as to how God wants monetary systems to be based. If we have gold in the garden, we have something that everyone will value and accept in economic transactions. And there's been nothing historically more successful as a basis for monetary policy than gold in the garden. And when we get to talking about the macro application, we'll talk more about monetary systems, and we'll talk about the implications of gold in the garden. But may the Lord give us grace now to live in the reality of what, how his economic principles are designed to function. May we see money as he sees it, and may we use money always to bring glory to him. And may we always seek to gain true wealth and not be distracted by worldly temporal wealth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 